You don't have to be a machine learning engineer to help make the future a smarter place. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, I'm recording from my closet for this special coronavirus episode of Trillions. How about you? Uh, ditto. My wife and two kids are downstairs. My uh, son is doing, like, through the internet classes for the next two weeks, so it's noisy down there and uh, a little quieter in here, and uh, I see that I have to do some cleaning in here. I'm real up close to all the, <laughs> the mess in this closet, so... Uh, there's that too, but yeah, it's quieter. How are you managing otherwise? I, I, day three of the quarantine, and when you have two little kids around, I think it makes it a little more cabin feverish sometimes, but at the same time, it's kind of nice having them home, and I work from home two days a week anyway, so it's not that big of a stretch. So, What is your best work from home tip? <laughs> um, basically, for me, I write a lot, and I just roll out of bed pretty much, start drinking coffee and get writing. I find that early in the morning, you are most inspired. You have the greatest natural energy. So I just don't waste time in the morning. I roll right until 10 and I'm highly productive. The afternoon's tougher. That's a pro tip there. Okay, so this episode of Trillions, we felt like we needed to take stock of the reality right now, which is not kind. There's a lot of red in the world. Where do you think we should start? I mean, look, uh, I think the S&P 500 is something almost everybody at this point owns, whether it's through an active mutual fund or individual stocks or more increasingly passive uh, in ETF like SPY or IVV or VU. And last time I checked, I mean, it's going up 8%, down 9%. It's, I equate it to being in a little rowboat and there's just in the middle of the ocean and there's a storm and the waves are just massive. Yeah. And you're hoping that when you slide down the one wave, there's another one to catch you and it just... It's really um, chaotic and discombobulating, a little scary. Yeah. I'm getting kind of tired of it, and I think other people are. I've talked to market makers all week, and they're telling me they're exhausted. So for this episode, we wanted to talk about sort of the some five observations or the biggest themes that are relating to ETFs right now. We're also going to have Katie Greifield come on, who's covering ETFs for Bloomberg News amidst all this chaos. This time on Trillions, carnage. Katie, welcome back to Trillions. Thanks for having me. What do you guys think is the number one thing people should just know about how ETFs are performing right now? Um, you know, for me, I look at uh, two things, volume and the ETF price versus its net asset value. And those two things are like thermometers to me. ETFs are all seeing height and volume, three or four times their average. This is part of what they're they were designed for is to be a liquidity buffer, a release valve, so that all the pressure wasn't on the stocks and bonds. And I think they do a great job of that. And sell-off after sell-off, they seem to gain new fans along the way. I don't think this one will be that much different. And I think you look at something like SPY, that one 
traded $113 billion on February 28th. No exchange-traded listed equity or fund has ever traded over $100 billion. And all told, in the past three weeks, it's traded about $1.2 trillion worth of shares. It normally does that in three months. So across the board, whether it's HYG or SPY, the volumes are very high. A lot of people are turning to ETFs to quickly tweak portfolios, make short positions. And I, you know, the volume tells you people trust them, use them. There's been a couple little hiccups, but nothing worse than that. And so I, I would give them a strong B plus or even an A uh, for their performance in this sell-off and, and handling what I think is the craziest market I've seen since 2008, if not worse. The other thing that's happening right now is this dislocation with the NAV, right? What is, what is that about? Right. So um, NAVs are uh, the fair value of what the ETF holds, so the basket. And the ETF trades in real time. And so it can sometimes move a little ahead or behind or you know above or below that fair value. And that's what people watch and what makes them nervous. And te- if you see a ton of stress, you will see the ETF price move a little bit. But largely, the dislocations from NAV have been a little higher uh, than, in, than in normal times. Uh, there's a lot of arguments that the ETF is sort of the true market in real time. Generally speaking, the ETF price is kind of what you can you know, sell the car for. And then the NAV is, you know, again, the best they can do at saying, here's the fair value of it. And in normal times, those things are right on top of each other. But in stressful situations, the price can deviate a little bit from that NAV. And Katie, what are you hearing from you know, investors in, in, in the newsroom in our reporting in terms of how ETFs are faring? Well, I've been all over that NAV uh, discount that Eric was just talking about, specifically in the bond space, because that's where you're seeing the biggest dislocations, the weirdest sort of moves, whereas, you know, equity ETFs aren't having those same problems, those same discounts. And what I've been talking a lot about with investors and advisors is, you know, whether this is the start of the death spiral, which we hear about with ETFs sometimes that, you know, in times of sell-off, when you are seeing the price of the ETF dip way below that NAV value, uh, whether that will exacerbate a sell-off in the underlying markets. But it doesn't seem like we're seeing any signs of that so far because the underlying bond markets just aren't trading. There's no liquidity there, whereas the ETF is actually the much more liquid tradable vehicle. And I I think... um... When you think of the bond ETFs like LQD, investment grade bonds, I think that's been stuck at about a 2%. So the price of LQDs been living at about 2% below the net asset value. TLTs wavered between like 3% and, you know, 1%. But even even plain vanilla stuff like BND, the Vanguard Total Bond has been um one night I think it closed at 5%, but it's been hovering more about 1.5%. But I think that tells you that at any time somebody, market maker AP, could sell the bonds and buy the ETF and pocket the difference. That's a risk-free profit. But what it tells you is there isn't a lot of faith that you can sell those bonds. And so the ETF would be uh, the, the place to go to a point, and then someone would arbitrage it. So the lack, we call that's why we call that discount or that dislocation, the arbitrage band. And those stretch in times of turmoil. But I, you know, I think after last time, in 2008, there was a lot of like, oh, you know, HYG was trading at like 7% discounts and people were like wondering if it was broken and that kind of thing. I think the tone shifted a lot this time, especially we've talked to um, Eric Kazatsky, our muni analyst, 
and uh, Damien, our uh, emerging markets analyst in BI. And they look to EMB and HYD, so to speak, as where the bonds are probably going. So the ETF sort of like leading where the, the bonds will probably catch up to because they're less liquid. And so I think there's been a definitely a tone change in, in people maybe looking at the ETF as an indicator, a metric. And But I will say to Katie's point, the idea of getting out of an ETF, uh, the, the, the middlemen in this world have to make a little money. So the price of the ETF does incorporate what those people need to, to make in that ARB. And so a fair way to put it is maybe you pay up a little bit to get out in these crazy times. It's not like it's the ETF is perfect. I just think it's a measure of the bond liquidity plus the cost of arbitrage. Um, but I think for people who are retail investors, two takeaways here. If you don't need to trade in these times, don't. I think you know somebody referred to it as adult swim. You know, Just stay home because none of these dislocations matter long term. Your total return of the ETF will match the index, give or take the tracking error. Uh, they won't show up in the long term return. So that's one thing. The second thing is if you do need to trade, I would use limit orders in times like this. And I would stay away from the market open or close because things get really crazy as market makers are figuring out what's going on that day. So middle of the day, limit orders, I think those are two good tools to navigate this. Speaking of retail, um, I'm wondering what's been happening with flows and what you guys have been watching on that front. Uh, something that's been catching my eye is flows into SPY. Um, Eric, I know that's more of the trader type uh, ETF, but prior to Wednesday, it it had been just on a tear. It received $9 billion in inflows last week, an additional $7.5 billion on Monday. And, uh, you know, that kind of caused people to scratch their heads because anyone who's been paying attention knows that the stock market has just been doing terribly. But, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan has a theory that this is just create to lend activity where these aren't actual inflows. It's not a good measure of investor sentiment, but basically these new shares are being created in order for investors to basically short the ETF. So that was a little bit interesting. Another thing is that ultra short bond funds have received a lot of interest in this sell-off. It, it feels like they're the only section of the ETF market that hasn't seen outflows of some magnitude, which I think just speaks to how desperate people are for cash right now, especially as liquidity dries up in most markets. Yeah, and to riff off that, uh, people sometimes equate ETFs with equities or risk-on. They forget that they, they're ETFs for things that you run to when the sky is falling. And I think those short-duration ETFs, it's amazing how much they've taken in because 2018 was a year where only cash worked. It seemed like everything was negative except for cash. And they've, in the month of March, those ultra short bond ETFs have superseded any month in 2018, and the month isn't even over. So that tells you how cash is king right now in this market. I also think in the flow category, SPY, IWM, the Qs, those flows to me move a lot like the waves I was talking about in the rowboat. You know, five billion in one day, two billion out the next. It's very hard to read what what's going on because those things are used as derivatives by some investors. So they could be shorting, they could be hedging. You just it's hard to tell. The retail type flows though um, are pretty strong, uh, which is good. It shows you there's a base bid out there. Vanguard in particular, uh, the Vanguard 500 ETF VU has taken in cash every single day during this sell-off, and and a lot, like a half a billion, a billion even took in money when the market was down 12%. Um, it's pretty uh, pretty miraculous. And other 
uh, Vanguard ETFs have also done the same, although not surprising. We look at Vanguard and past sell-offs, and in 2008, they took in money every month. They're just kind of a machine. Their investors are just pretty unshakable. And I do see some sentiment on Twitter with advisors who are just not selling. They're just they're just going to coach their clients into hanging in there because I think over time, a lot of people have just been enlightened with the fact that it's very hard to, to time these things. And when do you go in? When do you take out? Well, you know, and I think a lot of people are just like, look, I'm just going to continue my sort of drip, drip, drip inflows into the market. And we've done polls and the flows show that for the most part, the retail investor base in ETFs is hanging in there. And I, you know, we watch those flows because if those start to turn negative, we're in a whole different ballgame. But so far, they've held strong and that's arguably a good sign. So one takeaway in all this is that perhaps retail investors have more of a stomach, and especially bogoheads, uh, than professionals. Yeah, that's probably a takeaway, yeah. Or institutional, maybe. Yeah, there's also um, the internet has allowed the spread of information. I think people are more enlightened to the difficulty of trading. I also think, though, that there's been a shift in the advisor business from the broker commission model, where a mutual fund pays the broker to put the client in it. Those tend to be more churning type brokers where they churn your account. The new model is fiduciary where the advisor gets a percentage of the client's assets. And in that model, the uh, advisor is shoulder to shoulder with the client. So their knowledge kicks in and they're like, look, I've seen this happen. Just hang in there. In addition, advisors get you know good fees compared to the fund world. They get like 75 basis points to 1% to advise you on your wealth. And one of their biggest value propositions now is behavioral coaching. And so they're going to really hit that hard. And so I think that's another buffer. So I think you've got Vanguard people. You've got this, these new school advisors who are more about the big long than the big short. And I think you've just got the spread of information and past sell-offs. If anybody's Gen X or above, they know that 2008 was rough, but the next 10 years were amazing. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So, Katie, I know that you have an interest in what's happening in the bond world, and that's one that I know uh, investors have, have, have long expressed concerns about. What are you seeing on the stuff that you're reporting? Something that I found really interesting over the past week, and I don't have a good explanation for why it's happening, so please enlighten me, but it's it's really the high-quality tickers that you're seeing have these big discounts. You know, TLT, that's a treasury ETF, BND, LQD, those are all investment-grade products mostly, whereas it's the risky names like J&K and HYG that are actually trading at small premiums. And those were the, the names that people were really focused on. It was, you know, all of those concerns were really centered on junk debt, but those ones are actually pretty well behaved, whereas it's the higher quality stuff that is that has these big discounts. And I don't really know why that's happening. And I haven't heard a good answer yet. I agree with you. I think HYG has superseded anybody's expectations in this sell-off. But I think LQD and TLT might have underwhelmed in terms of their ability to track in these times. And we do have a theory in BI. Uh, my colleague in London, Tom, who's been looking at discounts, one thing he noticed is he looked at the discount in the bonds by maturity. And you can see a direct correlation to the 
the higher the maturity, the longer the maturity, the deeper the discount. And so HYG, a lot of people don't realize, has a duration of only three years. It's not, it doesn't have a lot of long dated stuff in there. Whereas LQD, the duration is nine years and TLT is 20. And I talked to some market makers that they'll say things like, yeah, long dated off the run treasuries, no bid, you know, stuff like that. And the word long seems to be in their dialogue a lot. So uh, the long end of the curve, I think, is where the bids have dried up the most. And I think HYG avoids that to a degree. But junk has been sold off violently a couple days. And um, that's good. I mean, HYG has has really, I think, hung in there. I think it might have closed at a discount of 1% one day, but it's been within 1% most of the time. And also it's seen a lot of outflows and they've been pretty orderly. seems like people are getting in and out in an orderly fashion, which is, I think, more than people thought was going to happen. Okay, so I want to talk about exotics and, and the ETFs in that world. Katie, what are you seeing in that space? Well, it's feast and famine in the leveraged ETF world. Um, Eric, you and I were talking about TVIX yesterday, which is just, I mean, over its lifetime, it's down well over 90%, but it is just on a tear with the VIX obviously ripping higher this week. As of right now, as of Wednesday, it's up over 1,200% for the year, which is, you know, it's by far the best performing exchange traded product. And uh, that's two times levered. And again, this 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 ETN has had a really tough time of things, but it's clearly its moment to shine. But, you know, on the flip side of the coin, you've seen some of these levered oil ETFs have to be liquidated. Um, ProShares had two in particular this week, Oil U and Oil D. So you're seeing some shakeout, you know, obviously in the oil space as oil plunges. But TVIX, again, it's just having a great time. And, you know, TVIX, the, it gets a, a, a red light in our traffic light system, obviously. And it gets the highest score of 30. You get ding it for 13 reasons. I mean, most stuff is like four or five tops. <laughs> so TVIX is like highly dangerous, full of nasty surprises. But all the things that are nasty surprises in it are now helping it, whether that's daily resetting of leverage or the roll cost in the futures market, which is now turning into roll yield. So all kinds of weird math that hurts TVIX normally is actually kicking in. And, you know, the exotics are obviously highly dangerous, but they're, I got to be honest, fascinating because if you look at year-to-date returns of all ETPs, you, you might see one that 300%, you know, that that's to be a, having a good year. And occasionally you've seen one almost get to 500% within a calendar year. TVIX is over 1,000%. In year-to-date returns, that's never happened, a quadruple-digit returns within a year, and it did it in a month. But you got to be careful because this thing is still down, what, 99% since it came out. And the other thing is uh, I do see some retail usage of it. If you look at the Fidelity site, TVIX is, I think, in their top 25 most traded on the platform. So um, you know, I really hope retail investors aren't messing with it, or if they do, they're the day trader types that know exactly how this thing works. If you want to learn more about leverage products, we have a great episode that's specifically about that. Eric, you just kept talking about TVIX there, and the only thing I wanted to know was whether or not your dad, Ken Balchunas, which from another episode of Our Two Dads, we know um, has used TVIX before. How's uh, how's old Ken doing with TVIX right now? Yeah, he loves the reverse splits that it has, uh, which a lot of leveraged ETPs are going through right now. Reverse splits so to keep it to, from going to zero. but um, 
you know, the problem with his TVX holding that he never sold, which I told him to, but he didn't, is that even if you bought it like three, four years ago when he did, even with this thousand percent spike, you're still down 95 percent. So this add, you know, very that does very little to his holding. Uh, you have to time it perfectly to really benefit it from. So I told him to stick to betting on college football games, <laughs> which aren't going to be happening in the near term. I know he well he had well uh, he had his friend come in to watch the tournament, his friend Dennis, and they were just gonna like you know drink beer and watch the tournament. I was almost gonna go join him, but I I just couldn't. But and now the tournament's not going on. I'm like, what are you guys gonna do with yourselves? <laughs> so I guess they're gonna have to play board games. Okay, Katie, what's your closing thought for this episode? I mean, I'm all about the fixed income right now, and I'm curious to see who wins this tug of war. You know, will the price of these bond ETFs rush up to meet the NAV or, you know, will those bonds, those underlying bonds fall to meet the price? I'm curious to see who wins. Yeah, totally. I think fixed income is where the most tension is right now. Um, Even though equities are down big and they're the bigger part of your portfolio for most people, I know that's a whole, you know, that's a major scene, but the fixed income to me, within the ETFs, is a much more dynamic place right now uh, because of the way an ETF trades on exchange, but the bonds don't. And that tension is something we're going to watch. And one thing to watch is this. Active bond mutual funds, which have avoided the sort of active to passive move because they've tended to outperform their benchmark, the aggregate bond index, because they tilt into high yield. A lot of them, that's biting back. High yield's down a lot, and they're now underperforming the ag down on the year if they start to see outflows in in any like significant way, that could put a little more pressure, selling pressure on bonds and the bond ETFs. And so the bond market to me has um, that extra little bit of anxiety because of that and the illiquidity of the bonds. Uh, then the stock market is more just about, okay, how is it reacting to what Trump said today? How are the fundamentals looking? And the ETFs seem to be pretty kosher over there. Not saying it's you know a good place to be in terms of returns, but the the way the ETFs work over there to me is uh, takes less of my attention, and I'm with Katie. I think the bond ETF area is um, really where a lot of the nerdy eyeballs are right now. Katie, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thanks for having me. Everybody else, thanks for joining us, and please stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can find Katie at Kay Greifeld. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.